From interviews and investing to careers and credit, we've got you covered. Wallet Watch is a podcast brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. We'll be interviewing industry experts, sharing personal stories, and even playing some fun games, delivering financial topics in a fun and interesting way. I'm one of your hosts, Amanda. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Devante. We're so glad you're here. Hey, Wallet Watch listeners. As promised last season, we're here to bring you another small business highlight episode. For this episode, we are hoping to gain some insights on business operation and some tips that our special guest will provide us. So today we have Paul Jakes, who is the Managing Director of Venture Creation with the Burgess Institute for Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Hey, Paul, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? So I started uh, this position about nine years ago. I have a um, pure love for startups and entrepreneurship in the, the greater Lansing area. I'm not really going anywhere as of right now. I can't promise that in the future. But I want to make this area as best it can be and, and trying to make the students the best they can be too and keep them here. Awesome. I love that. What is the Burgess Institute of Entrepreneurship and Innovation? That's a big answer, but I'll try to do my best. Uh, So we're the area of the university where any student who raises their hand and says, I want to start an idea. I want to get involved in in entrepreneurship. They raise their hand and say, hey, I want to start an app, a website, a physical product. You name it, we walk them through that process. And uh, we take them through a kind of a, a discovery process and a launch process and get deeper into that. But we're the entrepreneurship wing of the university. So yeah, when we first started, um, about nine years ago, I was actually working as the internship developer for the university. I was really the business contact for the university, and I started my own company. So I had a lot of students coming to me saying, hey, how do I start a company, or how do I do this? I was put into this position at uh, what was called Spartan Innovations then. I had to do a lot of discovery, a lot of universities, I had to check on their programs, how they work to really build our own program. And at that time, there wasn't a lot of entrepreneurial activity going on in the greater Lansing area or at Michigan State. What was interesting is I had to talk to a lot of the faculty staff. I had to talk to a lot of the students and really change their mindset. Because at that time, it was still very set and we're in a rust-built area to go and work at GM or Ford or wherever. And that's how a lot of our parents were too. Also, the parents weren't really excited what I was doing on that end either. I got some some pretty nasty calls from, from from parents that, you know, what am I? What are you doing working with my kid because they're going into statistics and they need to go into this. That has totally changed. That has flipped over. I'm getting parents and they're wanting their kids to go into to entrepreneurship. And I've gotten a lot of nice calls from those parents that gave me nasty calls back in the day that got some really good jobs. So we're excited about that. The other side is students are starting to come to Michigan State for entrepreneurship. And that has taken a while to, to get to. We are nationally ranked in the Princeton Review. We're number 14 right now, which is a, a big deal to us. Doesn't sound like probably to a lot of others, but we're number 14 in the nation as an entrepreneurship center. We were nothing nine years ago, which is we're, we're going up in the ranks. 
Okay. And then with being the entrepreneurship wing of the university, do you have to be a student at MSU to participate with yeah, the Burgess? Good, good question. So yeah, we service students. That's our main part. There's another part of the university that services more the faculty side. And we do work with alums. I mean, there isn't a free for all open to alumni. There's a lot of services that the students get from us, but the Burgess Institute, we service uh, both grad and undergrad students. I love that there is a a hub and a place for students to have that access. So that's really cool. I know you were saying like basically like when someone is, you know, raising their hand or has that idea that they want to take that idea into some sort of business in alignment with that. How could we determine what is a hobby and what has the potential to be a business? So what we always push is we're, we're a teaching facility. So these ideas that come to us may not flourish. They'll, they'll go through the process. So it could be a hobby. That's fine. We get a lot of ideas that come to us that could be nonprofits, could be something that they enjoy. I'd say a, a very small percentage of the, the companies that come to us are going to take off and really move on to that next thing. But uh, success to us really is teaching the students entrepreneurship, the language, the mindset, and them getting them a, a really good job. And that's what we're seeing. You know, obviously, I'd love to hold on to all of them and keep them in the area. A lot of them are going out west, out east, different areas. But we are starting to see in our nine years that we've been here, a lot of them are starting to come back, you know, when they're raising families and things like that. But again, huge success to us is getting a, getting a good job. Are there any businesses or products that we could possibly know about that maybe started with? For sure. So we're about nine years old. And just before we started, we were just starting to get involved in uh, entrepreneurship. And uh, this area has, was pretty quiet, you know, with angel investors, venture capital. We had an alum, his name is Brett Koff. You can actually look for him in, uh, in Forbes magazine. Brett was involved in, in our ecosystem and uh, started an app called Remind. So if anybody here or out there has children, they probably know what that app is. Yeah. So they, you talk about Remind, any K-12 through uh, person has either used it or touched upon it. Story was, Brett came to me, he was one of my interns, said, I have a, an idea to start an app that reminds teachers and, and students of quizzes and tests. Does more than that, but... And at that time, he tried to start it more towards college students. And I was like, you know, it's, it's okay, it's going to be tough to change syllabus with university. He switched it, he went out west, got involved in some investors, raised close to $100 million. And uh, currently now is he hired a, a CEO who's over 100 employees. Uh, it hasn't exited yet, but uh, they're worth more than probably all of us put together uh, wow. right now. So uh, we have had Brett come back speak a few times. He lives in Colorado now. He's on to his next fintech idea, actually. That's amazing. Being financial educators, we definitely value, you know, the education process and um, the significance that it can have for students. Can you tell us a little more about the difference between like the discovery process that you were talking about and sure. like launching and what the students go through? For sure. Yep. It's a discovery process is a big process. So we see about 200 to 250 applications every year. Doesn't, doesn't mean they're doing anything. That means they're applying. They come to us and really talk about their idea and discovering what they want to do. So say they want to build an app. We help them kind of discover and look into, is this something viable? Is this something that people would want? How would you build this? Would they pay for it? How much? So really trying to find out and clean up the idea to really think, you know, if this is something that can even go through. 
There's some milestones that we put in there. Building a business model canvas, putting some type of a model around it, you know, looking at financials early, we do that. And one of the newest things that we've done is we have them pitch their idea right away. So it could be an idea that's just on a napkin, could be something that has a small pitch deck, um, but they pitch their idea and just tell us about it. They pitch it on the interior to us and then um, put them through the milestones. We push them towards the launch phase. During that process, they all have the same needs. Graphic design, web design, maybe legal, CAD work, marketing. We actually hire students to work for them for free. So we hire about 18 to 20 interns, students working for students. So they get all that early stage funding that, that goes on. Uh, they get space. Uh, Hatch is our incubator uh, that they can come into. They get free office space. Then once they get into the launch phase, they have to re-pitch the idea with a cleaned up, nice looking pitch deck. But they pitch to uh, what we have as 13 entrepreneurs and residents. These individuals uh, are alums all around the country that have done it, raised dollars, exited companies, and they actually give them feedback on their idea. These are high-end individuals from, you name it, tech stars, Twitter, connections at Y Combinator, all these, these different things that really give their time to give back to the students. And then also the students need money. They need maybe entity formation, provisional patent, different services. We actually fund that. We pay for that and it's all free to them. We were given a couple of grants through the university that actually given them to the amount of a grant. So we don't take any equity in their company. It's a neat process. Whenever I talk into classes or student orgs or anything, and I say, if you're a student at MSU and you don't take advantage of this resource, there's something wrong with you because, you know, get involved in this. This is free. The biggest catch, the students always ask, you know, what's the catch? You know, what do you, what do you want from us? And I always say, give back. Either it could be monetarily back to the university, to the program, or really giving back to the, the students down the road, being a mentor. Yeah, that sounds like a really great opportunity for students to take advantage of. For sure. Definitely. I want to be a student. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> oh, I have several companies and several ideas, so I'd love to take advantage of it. So kind of after they go through that process, how do they really know when it's time to take that product or that service or their idea to the market? So we, we put them into different competitions uh, around the country so they can apply to different things. We take them to different uh, events. You know, some of them are like CES out in Las Vegas. Uh, we take some teams out there, set up a booth, see if people are wanting this, want to work with it, see if providers or investors are interested. We go to South by Southwest with the students uh, down in Austin. They can apply to any competition that they go to. If they get into a competition, we actually fund them to fly there and and take advantage of that. And then they find out, yes, if this is something that really, you know, should be taking off. Like I said, most of them aren't going to move on on there. They're going to get that job. The average uh, entrepreneur in the United States is about 42 years old. We're starting to see a lot of these students that build this idea, get a job, kind of put it to the side, and then come back to it after they raise some more money. Could be the same idea or could be, you know, a different idea that they take on and, and move forward. So... Very cool. So once they've taken it that far, how do they know if they've started to invest in a business? Let's say they are at that, that age group where they're ready to start taking it to the next step and they're putting so much into it. How do you know like when to step away from that idea? 
if it's not working out. So I'll give you a, some examples. You know, we had a, a young alum. She's uh, She just graduated a few years back, started a probiotic snack bite idea. Pretty crowded area. There's a lot of things going on. But, you know, luckily we had a great alum that worked at GFB or Gluten-Free Bites. So we connected them, walked them through the process. Huge traction. She was doing great. Got into stores, got into Myers got into home goods, all these different areas. Pickups left and right, kind of with production and, and different things like that, just like any startup would have. And after lots of calls, she realized, I need a job. <laughs> you know, she wanted to, she was, she loved the hustle and, and loved working with it. We got offered a really good job in the medical field, which was kind of her background. And I think this was her baby, but she realized that she had to kind of push this aside for right now. And I think she'll definitely come back to it. If it's not that exact thing, the process that she learned, she could talk about in the interview with the new company, but I, I guarantee she's going to come back to it. So you know when you know. Yeah. It's like it's like when you play a sport uh, or when you play something else, you're like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm done for right now. Sure. Yep. Well, and I appreciate the fact that you say that that's always something that you can come back to because I feel like so many young people, you know, they have these great ideas. They want to see it come to fruition, but it doesn't always, or maybe it's just not the right time. So giving yourself time to be able to make the money that you need or, you know, focus on the education to be able to bring that idea up or just do for yourself personally or professionally what you want to do on the side of that too. Yeah. Being an entrepreneur is not easy. It's difficult. I mean, you're, if you hire employees, you're doing paychecks. You're hitting payroll, you're hitting numbers, you're getting clients, you're doing sales. It's a difficult thing, but you're working for yourself. You set your own hours, different things like that. So one thing that I want to say on that is I hate it when people come to me and say, oh, I had this idea 10 years ago, but I never did it. And I am so for, if you have an idea, there's so many resources today that you can go out and do this. You know, you just want to make sure that's not, you know, a duplicate of something that's out there but you know i've always thought of this thing that should go on a cell phone or you know this app or do it and i am the the worst at that because i i probably do it too much and my wife is, is <laughs> probably, you know our garage is full of things and but i have uh, lots of failures and i have some great successes so it's fun have you made windshield wipers for glasses i have not <laughs> i have not but if that's your idea we can, uh, we can do it. We have engineers uh, on our staff that actually can 3D print those, and we can work with it. So let's That's do it. been my idea since I was a little kid and I first started wearing glasses. I'm like, there's got to be a defroster and some windshield wipers for these here glasses. Because the funny thing is, you know, some of these ideas come in from students. You know, sometimes they don't even Google it. You know, Google it. I'm sure someone, yeah, someone has made windshield wipers, you know, something like that. But then we out. go deeper. We look into is there patents, is there trademarks, is there anything like that? Cool. Well, um, one of the things that you did mention was that the young lady that started the probiotic chew business, she could also take those skills that she learned and talk about them in her, you know, kind of the next phase of the next that interview, and. I think that's important as far as like transferable skills that you learn sure. from things that you can, you know, you can always kind of take those things and apply them to the next next step or next phase in life. So thank you for mentioning that. Yeah, always those skills, especially in the interview process. You know, as we say to our students, of course, they want you to have a degree when you go in there and interview. 
they want you to have a degree, but a lot of times they're saying, okay, you got your degree. Tell me about this business you started and the money you raised and you had to do production on your own. You had to hire people. I mean, they, they want our students to be innovative. So, and they're hiring quite a bit of them. Cool. So let's say I'm in the beginning phases, right? I want to start a business or I am starting a business. I actually can say that this is kind of me right now. Um, what are some general tips and tricks to keep in mind? So I say, you know, keep it as lean as possible. I think a lot of people go into it and think that they need to spend all this money. And, you know, for a lot of the people that know me, even the employees there, I, I'm kind of the, the thrift shopper of entrepreneurship. You know, there's ways around getting marketing and getting legal fees and all these different things, you know, cheap or close to free. I do that as much as you can. Also trying to get as much free money as possible. There's a lot of grants out there. There's pitch competitions that you can get into that uh, you can meet, you know, individuals or make some funds on. And then really doing a, a lot of heavy research. I think a lot of people jump into this and think their idea is, isn't out there. And then after they spend a lot of money, they figure out, hey, this has been out there for 10 years. So, you know, really figuring out what's different and what really problem you're solving. You asked before about the, the hobby part of it too. That's where it kind of comes in too, where somebody says, you know, they won't let it die when they realize, you know, that it's a hobby, knowing that people really want it. Thank you for that. I appreciate that explanation. I think in the last almost two years now, being in this pandemic and the effect that it's had on the world and specifically businesses, can you give new business owners or someone who's thinking about starting a business some ideas on how they can continuously be innovative in the way that they run their business? Yeah, I think with the pandemic, there's some been some, some goods and bads, actually. The interesting part is Zoom, goods and bads. I don't know how you are. I'm tired of Zoom. Uh, but <laughs> Zoom's nonstop still. Our, our events are still pretty hybrid of the face-to-face -face and, and Zooms. But it's opened up so much to the, to the country and the world. You know, that was always there for us, but for some reason we weren't tapping into it. So we're getting a lot of, of, of mentors, investors, and different people that you know, we're able to tap into relatively easy. I think with the new businesses too, one thing we're realizing is, and I talked about not needing as much money or funds, you don't need an office. You know, you're, you're realizing a lot of people are saying, you know, you miss out. I would say you do miss out on, on the camaraderie and different things like that. But I think people are realizing they don't need that physical office a lot of the time or that large commercial space you need. Along with travel, too. A lot of people are pulling back on travel. You don't always need to be face-to-face -to, -face to fly to California to meet with somebody. You know, a simple Zoom or a simple call can some kind be helpful, too. But yeah, that, that goes along with my whole lean process. Of course, you need to spend some funds and get some resources, but being as lean as possible. So another thing we've been talking about too, kind of almost during every episode, it seems this season is maintaining some sort of balance to be able to keep in the forefront, like your mental well-being, physical well-being. What do you suggest for people who are starting out entrepreneurs or anyone else who has a business? How are you able to just maintain that balance between all of the hats that you wear? And what are some suggestions or tips that you have? I think everybody deals with those 
you know, differently. It is. It's tough, and people are at, at different stages of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, personally, I have four kids, lots of football and volleyball and basketball and <laughs> traveling and taking calls on the way, but I think you really need to, to watch that. You know, trying to stay as healthy as you can, trying to keep your mind as healthy as you can, keeping, keeping busy. But yeah, you have to make that balance. What I always tell the students is, some of them come to us and said, you know, I'm just too busy for this. I'm like, no, you're not. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have kids. You have time. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. tons of time to do this. So, but I have seen an increase in, in mental health kind of uh, going off with not only the students, with, you know, all different people too. So I think everybody just needs to, to breathe. You know, I, I do, um, I've seen a lot of people getting more into meditation, uh, yoga, different things. So it's just, you know, taking that break. I'm thinking, um, Higher-end CEOs and higher-end corporates are starting to see this and realize this too. Letting people work from home, take their breaks, and hopefully that'll that'll help everybody out. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know that like when I had to go back into the office, that was a big change for me even, and it, it cut down some on some of the time that I was able to give extra to my job, so then I ended up spending more time that I had at home when I was going to be working, more than I had planned in my day, so... Yeah, some of those ways that you're talking about being a little bit more lean in certain areas, I think sometimes that can help with just that professional balance as well. Yeah, I think it's going to take a while to really get back from this. I mean, the the students on our end and, and even uh, faculty, staff, and others are, are apprehensive. You know, they're, they're shying off a little bit. They're just making sure that everything is good. So uh, our events, you know, generally we'll have close to 100 individuals showing up to events. Right now we're seeing about half will come face-to-face, others are coming uh, via Zoom, um, and they're slowly starting to come back. And um, I think that's fine. You know, we're not pushing on them hard to, to do that, but like I said, everybody deals with things in a different way, but hopefully soon we'll get through this and nothing else happens. That would be very nice. Yeah, I think that it was. it's interesting just that this pandemic showed us that, oh, yeah, you could do it. Like, you know... Mm-hmm when we have those jobs that are that were completely in person and we didn't really have that flexibility now it's like well give me a reason why this one can't be done over the internet versus why me being here physically you know yeah. so I think it gave it gave everybody a little opportunity to experience some innovation as far as how they were going to keep their workforce going and keep the workers going yeah i just think with technology you know i i do still have kind of that old school mentality it's not always butts in the seats you know being there and it is when you're in the office and a lot of people aren't there it is kind of what's everybody doing but with technology i mean there's ways i can i can get a hold of anybody anytime via cell phone via laptop i mean we have different technologies like asana or things of them reporting so we know what what everyone's up to so that's why you're seeing this, these large corporations like Twitter, Facebook, other ones are saying, you can stay at home permanently. And uh, it's maybe saving them some money too. Yeah, not having to spend money on brick and mortar locations yep. for different things. So I was thinking of potentially some of our listeners might be small business owners or you know the students that you work with. What are some common barriers that new businesses seem to always face? I think, you know, getting money coming in is always the biggest issue. Um, you can open up your doors any day. You can have brick and mortar. You can have physical products. 
but getting people to to buy your product. I'm going more of the physical product route. That's a lot of my my background. I think one thing they don't think of is all the things you can sell online. I have a great background on Amazon. I have products that sell pretty well on Amazon myself, but just getting it, getting it in front of people and showing to them a good price point, something that they really want, getting it to them in a in a fast way like Amazon can. It's really hard to beat of having a brick and mortar. I hate saying that, but you know, some of the local companies here, it's it's tough. It's really tough for them. Some of these larger corporations are taken over, but there's got to be a good mix of uh, individuals that want to come to your store, you know, feel that book or feel whatever you have, and then also selling online. So that'd be my suggestion is to do both. With being a person that has helped with so many, you know, businesses and things like that, how can consumers be more aware or attentive to the business community to help to strengthen that? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, if you're, you know, I'm one, I, I try to do as much as I can to try to give back to the local community. And I, I do think that all the time. If I'm going to buy something from a large chain, and I still do, I'm, I'm honest, I, I, I buy from large chains, but I, I think twice before I do it. Definitely in the very beginning of the pandemic, I thought about it more than twice. You know, these people need it. These people need it to keep their doors open, to pay rent. So I would say to the consumers, think about how you buy. It is convenient to order something on Amazon. I know I have stuff at our door almost daily, and I'll probably a lot of you do too. Mm-hmm. But think about what you can buy locally. It helps. Thank you. Well, I'm just curious if there's anything like in the works right now. You give us like a sneak peek on anything <laughs> or any more examples, you know, in the area that I can support yeah. these newer businesses. There's also new things uh, in the works. There's there always is. Uh, one thing I will say, we, you know, we have 200 to 250 applicants every year that come to us. At the end of the year, we do a thing called the Burgess New Venture Challenge. And uh, what we, we take on about 15 student teams. Those are the, the top teams that we see that have potential. And that happens right around April 1st every year, right around that time. We give away about $44,000 in prizes. That event actually started in this room. We had we called it Greenlight Michigan just after that. And then we named it the Burgess New Venture Challenge. We have judges, we have different things that come through. And those are the ones that have the most promise to them. What we try to do is push them forward into different things like different accelerators. You know, locally we have one called the Conquer Accelerator. That's through the uh, MSU Foundation and Red Cedar Ventures that works great with us. Or something into like Techstars, Y Combinator, or, or something like that. Another idea, I want to just bring up this idea too. We had a, a local company, uh, student company. We had a student that started as a wrestler. Had several ideas that came to us but actually made a kind of in the shape of a Tide Pod, just so you can kind of get that visual, a protein powder. Mm. You actually put in, it's a food grade protein powder. You actually drop in water, you shake it, drink it. And uh, his name's Joe Johnson, started a company called Vade and actually made it on Shark Tank. So if you guys do watch Shark Tank, which most mm-hmm. people know, it's a show. I mean, they actually do get funding and money, but got investment from uh, Mark Cuban and... Uh, Alex Rodriguez, when he was on there too. So, Joe was a great success. He's in a lot of the uh, vitamin shops, GNCs, different things like that. So, it's not always about the app 
or website or anything like that. But uh, those physical products are coming through too. That's so cool. Yep. Another thing that I wanted to, to mention and talk about is the whole NIL or, or athletics area. Oh, yeah. So obviously with the, the whole name, image, and likeness uh, thing that's coming out for all the athletes and being paid for different things, we actually were, were talking this beginning of this summer to Coach Tucker. And he reached out to us and said, we want to work with you guys. We really want all of our football players to be going through your program. It was great. So uh, he came in and we met with him in our incubator called The Hatch. And uh, we did a six-week program with the football team. Walked him through the process and um, we ended up pulling a handful of students that really wanted to start companies in there. Great part of it too is uh, Coach Tucker was talking about too, he wants all of his recruits start coming, you know, and looking at entrepreneurship, which makes total sense. I mean, it's an asset to have at the university. So we went through a, a couple more things with with a football team, and we're starting to see a lot of the other teams come on board uh, on campus. The more of these athletic teams that say, hey, we want to learn the mindset and also learn about that venture creation side. So that's been huge. I love that because definitely the NIL is such a huge opportunity for athletes. It could change their lives potentially. And just having that resource and kind of knowing some of that stuff so they can avoid someone maybe trying to sway them or make them go the wrong way. And then that great opportunity can turn into something that might not be so great for them. So I really appreciate that learning aspect for those athletes. Yeah, we, you know, basically we want to work with them to set up entities help work with contracts, maybe talk with lawyers and different things. And like you said, making sure that their deals are right. You know, somebody's coming to them and that doesn't hurt them, you know, down the road. Exciting time. That's amazing. Just the amount of resources. I had no idea that MSU had all of these different resources. A lot of the students don't either. That's, I would say that's one of the biggest issues. Every year we have to go to those incoming freshmen really talk to them again about the resources we have, make sure that they remember us. And then, you know, we get a lot of them that come back. And I say this, I said it in the class last week. I said, remember me if none of you have questions because your junior year, you'll come in and say, I think I had someone speak in my class about this and I didn't take advantage of it, but I think I want to now. I'm like, you'll want to, you'll want to. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're constantly meeting with student orgs, with classes, just trying to get the students involved. So, is there anything that we didn't ask um, that you would like to leave with our listeners? So, I think the, the big thing with our program really comes from mentors and alumni. And that's one thing that we're always stressing. We always need as much help as possible. So, if there's anybody out there that's listening that, that really wants to help out, you know, to get involved in our events, being a mentor, uh, learning about the student programs, just being there to talk to them about different things like, you know, I'm here about financials. Financials is probably the number one thing that we need help with, with these students from the very beginning stage to the higher end ones too. But anybody that can help, we're always looking for it. So we'd appreciate that. How can they get in contact with you? My best email, I can give that out. The email is my last name, J-A-Q-U-E-S at msu.edu, uh, jakes at msu.edu. And our website is eship. Like entrepreneurship, eship.msu.edu. Cool. 
Well, thank you for exploring all these different resources and opportunities with us and really taking us down that path of understanding business a little more. I think this will definitely be uh, very beneficial information for our listeners. It was great for me. I've got a nice amount of notes over here. So I'll just thank you so much, Paul, for taking the time out to come in and talk to us. Great. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And now it's time for the CU Spotlight. MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union don't just sponsor this podcast. We believe in investment in the community. We have recently established another way of helping, the Dust Drawer Fund, a foundation supporting the MSU, FCU, and OU Credit Union communities. The Dust Drawer Foundation focuses on five philanthropic pillars, arts and culture, stable housing, empowering youth, financial education, and fostering entrepreneurialism. If you'd like to learn more about the foundation or donate, please visit DestroyFund.org. Wallet Watch is written, hosted, and produced by Amanda Kahn, Devante Montgomery, and me, Lindsay Morgan. Our executive producers are Whitney Anderson Harrell and Lauren Kalarzik. Wallet Watch is brought to you by MSU Federal Credit Union and OU Credit Union. You can find more episodes of this podcast at our credit union's website, financial48.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in our next episode.